You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome, uh, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. We got a slightly different. Holiday edition. We're getting the holidays uh, started a little bit early. Uh, that's why I'm welcoming you into the show. Uh, initially, Uncle Jimmy's going to be here, or we're going to pan Uncle Jimmy here shortly, and he's going to. Uh, what well, he's all excited because the Chiefs won an incredible game last night that against the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, but I also brought in a special guest, a special musical guest, uh, Butter. Uh, for those of you that uh, follow country music, perhaps you remember Butter from 2010, 2011, rocking the beer gut about women with big beer bellies. Uh, <laughs> and so Butter's going to sit in with me and Uncle Jimmy. And uh, anyway, J without further ado, Jim, I'm going to let you gloat about uh, the Chiefs' uh, big victory over the Chargers last night on Thursday Night Football. Well, it's, this is not about gloating. We, we got to do things like we always do, first things first. <clears throat> America, have you heard? Uh, <laughs> you got a brand new team. Let's spread the word. Uh, now we heard what you said at the first of the year. But don't look now, but Pat Mahomes done shifted in another gear. So come on, y'all. Let's just chop. That's how we do it. Then y'all break back, say, whoa, chop. That's how we do it. Hey, man, what's up with y'all, man? Welcome to Fearless. It's Friday. I'm the thrill sergeant. He's the captain. You already know where you are. So, hey, let me just tell you where we're going. I'm going to tell you where we're going, butter. Hey, man, we heading out to talk to the guy that we call the enforcer. And, of course, I'm talking about Royce White. Hey, man, we brought Royce in to talk about this latest COVID outbreak going on with the NBA, NFL, and everywhere else they run around here preaching vaccinations. Okay? And then Jason calls this next guy the Korean Cosell. I call him the guy that looks like he lives in a hotel. And, of course, I'm talking about my guy, Stephen A. Stephen A. Kim. And he's going to be in here today to talk about the game last night between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Diego Chargers. Los Angeles Chargers. Los Angeles Chargers. We beat them like the, we beat the San Diego Chargers. Anyway, look here, man. I would just like to tell Steve in advance that I accept the heck out of his apology for doubting my Kansas City Chiefs. And oh, yeah, one more thing before I go, because I take it that you missed this question on your test to become a U.S. citizen. Steve, never forget this. This is the land of the free and the home of the Chiefs. Yo, man, hit the likes, hit the subscribes, hit the five stars. It's Christmas, so go ahead and hit the cognac. Hey, hit the shopblazemedia.com slash fearless and get geared up. Hey, I asked for a dilly dilly. This dude asked for a double filly. Here he is, yo. <laughs> Jason Whitlock. DJ, 
Can he get some music, please? Double Philly, I, I think Jimmy means double filet of fish sandwich. Uh, you know. I could be wrong. It was just a hunk of dead animal flesh after. Well, and you should add the extra cheese and tartar sauce when you mention the double filet of fish sandwich. Uh, it's one of the best things. Hey, listen, despite our little adjustment to the beginning of the show, uh, it's going to be the same deal. I'm going to start a fire. Uh, and then we're going to go to one of our contributors, Royce Weiss, and he's going to help me fan the flames of this fire. Uh, the only difference a little bit today is like the NFL and the NBA have actually started this fire for me. I, I don't it's it's ready made. I'm just going to fan the flames. There's nothing I really have to do. The NFL and the NBA are having a covid pandemic. And the NFL and the NBA, the, the, the Cleveland Browns game is slightly in jeopardy. They've now had to change the protocols and the rules uh, in order to have this uh, Cleveland Browns game this weekend where they're going to allow players to test every day and they're going to allow them back on the field a little sooner. And and Baker Mayfield and Miles Garrett are justifiably uh, complaining because it's clear as day the NFL had one set of protocols and rules when they were trying to force everybody to take the vaccine. And so they let vaccinated players test once a week. Unvaccinated players had to test every day. Well, now that there is this COVID pandemic sweeping professional sports and sweeping the NFL, now the NFL, everybody's got to test every day. And, and what ended up happening that the players are aware of, the NFL's aware of, the media is trying to ignore, is that the NFL's protocols that allowed vaccinated people to test once a week has now made the COVID pandemic within the NFL, it's driven by the vaccinated players. It's, they didn't have only once a week. And so they were going in the buildings untested, unaware that they're carrying the virus and they're spreading it and passing it along. This is the stupidity of the NFL's own rules trying to force this vaccine down the throats of, of all these young men and all these young athletes in their prime that they created protocols that penalize the unvaccinated and now within the NFL, the NBA, the vaccinated people are actually the most dangerous because they've been going untested for stretches of time while the actual unvaccinated people were getting tested every day. They would know, oh my God, I'm carrying the virus. I have COVID. And so then they would uh, quarantine and remove themselves from their teammates. But because of this very bogus, false belief that, oh, the vaccines, if you're vaccinated, you're so much safer than everyone else. You only need to be tested once a week. They created this pandemic, this problem that they have going on that have put games in jeopardy. 
corporate media, their broadcasting partners aren't going to talk about the stupidity of these rules and these protocols that set this league on fire and has games in, in jeopardy and has teams as we roll into mid-December lit up like Christmas trees with the COVID virus. They did this to themselves. The information, the data, I was just reading something today that TJ Moore sent me from uh, the CDC basically admitting, conclusion, as this field continues to develop, clinicians and public health practitioners should consider vaccinated persons who become infected with SARS-CoV-2 to be no less infectious than unvaccinated persons. That's out of their own words. The vaccinated, just as much of a threat as the unvaccinated to pass on this virus. So when you tell the vaccinated, no, you only got to test once a week. That means for six straight days, they could run around carrying the virus, not knowing it, feeling like they're bulletproof. I took the vaccine. I'm better than everybody else. And they're actually spreading the virus. We've handled from start to finish this COVID thing very stupidly. We've promoted fear. We've bullied people into getting vaccines that di really didn't. The safest people are the people who had COVID and recovered from it. The antibodies, those people are the safest. They should be walking around feeling very confident about themselves, but instead we've bought into a myth that people that have taken these vaccine trials, these experimental vaccine trials, we, oh, yeah, we're the greatest people on the planet. It's you unvaccinated people that are the threat. You're driving all of this. That whole narrative is blowing up right now in professional sports, in the NFL and the NBA. And, and again, I, I don't want to sound like I'm gloating, like I'm happy about it. But I'm just happy the truth is being exposed. And that we can quit treating the unvaccinated like they're the worst people on the planet. Let me tell you who the dumbest people on the planet are. Uh -oh. The ones who thought this vaccine makes me bulletproof. Vaccines take six, 10, 12 years to be fully developed and tested and to be the kind of effective that we were trying to pretend these vaccines were after 10, 12, 14, 16 months of development. Those are facts that everyone knew and should have accepted, but everybody wanted to go off into their little fantasy world that somehow we had created a magic bullet for this COVID uh, pandemic, and there is no magic bullet. So now we have to deal with reality, and I'm glad the NFL and the NBA hopefully are exposing these lies and myths that we have bought into. I think that's all I want to say for now on it, but I want to bring in Royce White, uh, former Iowa State basketball star, former NBA first round pick, and in my view, the smartest athlete uh, talking about sports and issues today. Royce, uh, welcome back to the show. And I, I, I would love your thoughts on what the NFL and NBA are going through as this COVID virus seems to be spreading across both of these leagues. 
Thanks for having me back, Jason. <clears throat> you know, first I want to say my heart and prayers go out to anybody who was affected by this virus. I know a lot of people have lost loved ones. They've lost their jobs. They've lost homes. They've lost stability in their everyday life. Um, and, and, and I feel for them, you know, uh, in a major way. However, this entire pandemic is, is a classic three-card Monty. Right. It has been from the start. Nobody wants to really go back and pin down the origins of this virus, which has triggered and resulted in uh, one of the biggest transfers of wealth and power, uh, an outright attack on citizenship and, and our rights. Um, and it, it is right on time for the Great Reset Agenda and this fourth industrial revolution. And all of those things should uh, send up real red flags for anybody. Uh, it, it certainly did for me when the pandemic originally broke out, and it has as we've progressed through this pandemic. Um, and, and I hate to have to say this, but again, sports is politics. The politics are never off, and the NBA and NFL are example. People got to remember that the shutdown in America was triggered by Rudy Gobert and the Utah Jazz. Okay, the the. the the sports is not inconsequential in the way that the media industrial complex wants to play a unique role in conditioning and manufacturing the consent of people. And, and the, the vaccine mandates were off the rails from the beginning. There was no consideration of natural immunity. There were no medical exemptions. Okay. And, and again, there was no, there, there was a suppression of early treatment therapeutics that have now sort of resolved in the, the medical industrial complex now wants to come in with their early treatment therapeutics that will quote unquote solve the issue. You see Pfizer talking about a COVID pill, but all of this is part and parcel of a radical authoritarianism and the NBA and NFL have always opted for the authoritarianism, no matter which woke politics they try and promote on their little infomercials with Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan or LeBron James or, you know, the, the Social Justice Coalition or any of those, you know, uh, woo-woo uh, initiatives. So I, I think this is exactly what we've seen from the NBA and NFL the entire time. They got caught up in the narrative. They wanted to ride the wave. They play chameleonic politics. And when the truth comes out, they get caught holding the you know, holding the corruption card. And, and we all continue to buy in because we love the games that they broker. Tell me this, Royce. Do you think the average athlete understands that these leagues have always been pawns and tools to promote a political agenda? And, 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 and it's become even more acute because of the way TV and other things have gone. The only thing that draws a major television rating and a massive audience is live sports. And so the National Football League is now the most powerful television show on five different networks. Five different networks are dependent on the National Football League. That makes football the most powerful force in popular culture, and that means it has for the government and for the establishment and for institutions to impose their will. They have to be in concert in, in concert and using the NFL to get their message across. I agree with you 100 percent. I think that was my intuition around bringing up mental health and mental health policy or attitudes or culture in that domain, because, again, it's it's the. It's the watering hole for a global corporate community and, and their views and their attitudes is a reflection 
of the corporatocracy we live under. And I keep going back to that because I don't think there's a bigger issue. I don't think there's a, a bigger issue in our society than the function of corporatocracy uh, that, and, and the institutions that preside over us. Now, I will say that the NBA and NFL are pawns in it, but pawns can be important pieces depending on how you use them depending on the chess player that you're sitting across from. So um, I don't know if, if the athletes really truly understand how significant sports is. And I'll take it even a step further. I think sports has become the new religion. I think in the rise of atheism and the, and the resignation from faith in God that sports and sports figures have become the new religion. And, and with that being the case, it's even more significant to pop culture and the overall spirit of our society than many other institutions. And, and let's just call it what it is. Our black athletes have got to wake up and understand the role that they play. Um, and, and they have to become more honest in their initiatives. I'm not one to say that athletes should pull away from politics. I'm one to say that athletes should dive in and, and, and have a more comprehensive integrity-based view when it comes to how they see the world and how they want to advocate certain social issues. And if they do that, then athletes and, and these sports institutions will become a, a very powerful force in steering our culture back in the right direction if they so choose. What do you say to me and particularly to others who have kind of walked away from sports because they feel like it's too much politics and it's too much simple-minded politics with no depth that either they've walked away, which I have not done, but I have to say I don't enjoy sports as much as I used to. And my, my very first love in sports was professional basketball. My, my father used to take me and my brother to see ABA basketball games. Uh, when I was a little kid. Basketball was my first love. The Indiana Pacers, my first love. I don't, I don't, I've not watched an NBA regular season game this year. I didn't watch very many last year. I didn't enjoy the playoffs or really start watching the playoffs last year until LeBron was eliminated. Is the, should people distance themselves from sports? What do you say to us that have either walked away or just have less passion for it? I say don't throw the car, don't don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, I've distanced myself from sports too, especially watching it, especially the NBA, obviously because of my history there with that organization. Um, but but what sports is trying to convey at bottom is worthwhile. Sports is trying to convey. Um, a hero narrative, right? Uh, people sacrificing themselves, whether it be time, whether it be energy, whether it be blood, sweat, and tears for a greater cause, for a greater goal, in many cases, which you have to work with the team. And even in individual sports, you still have to work with other people in order to achieve the goals that you want to in the sports world. And and much of that is is honest and pure. And I think it's why we continue to gravitate towards professional sports, even though we know the structures and brokers around it are corrupt as the day is long. And I understand that because there's a genuine beauty in sports. And when a person sacrifices for that ultimate goal and you see them achieve it and you're able to witness it, it's nothing short of miraculous. And there is something divine in it and there is something godly about it. Um, you know, that, that's the Jesus Christ model in a way, self-sacrifice. However, 
I think it's been greatly tainted by the corporatocracy around it, by the brokers around it, who are completely willing to undermine those ideas in order to, one, maintain power. Let's not get caught up on the money thing. I don't like when people get caught up on the dollar as the bottom line, because we've seen situations where people will go against their bottom line to maintain power. Um, so maintaining power, uh, but, but also expanding their vision, expanding this globalist vision that they have. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's a dangerous threat because all of our young people grow up wanting to be athletes still. And we can't underestimate that. And we can't underestimate how our young people are being conditioned to capitulate and be compliant uh, with, with an establishment that presides over them when they hold the keys to their dreams, perceivably. Royce, I want to read you some quotes from Baker Mayfield, Cleveland Browns quarterback. Get your reaction to what he's saying. And then I, I want to let you go. I'm going to move on. I want to have a conversation with uh, Butter and, and Jimmy. But uh, Baker Mayfield, uh, in his frustration about these new emergency protocols the NFL is imposing, make up your damn mind on protocols, showing up and making only three teams test, all so you can keep the game as scheduled to make money. This is something he tweeted out. Uh, then another tweet, actually caring about player safety would mean delaying the game with this continuing at the rate it is. But to say you won't test vaccinated players if they don't have symptoms, then to pull this randomly doesn't make any sense to me. And then finally a third tweet, tell me if this makes sense. No test this morning, then let our team gather for practice, then show up after practice to test them. Something seems off here. The NFL is making up the rules as they go along. They, they weren't, they bought, I get the myth that the vaccines were gonna uh, cure and fix everything. And now they're scrambling and they appear to look foolish in front of these NFL players. Yeah, I mean, I think the spirit of what Baker Mayfield is trying to convey is absolutely right. I think they are inconsistent. I think the establishment that presides over them have been inconsistent since the start of this pandemic. And I think they'll continue to show inconsistence. And, and it's not it's not always transgression that that seeds moral decay. Sometimes it's contradiction. And, and ultimately, look, I think that he's getting lost in, in trying to make sense of a world that he's, you know, decided to still participate in. When, when there's no sense to be made of it. And, and the NFL didn't buy into the woo-woo. They were in on the woo-woo from the beginning. And, and that's the point that I think I, I want my athletes to take away from this is you're not going to be able to make sense of it, Baker. There, there's, there's no sense to be made. It's wrong. It's corrupt. It's based on a lie. COVID-19 is, isn't a lie, but the power games that are being played underneath this pandemic are certainly based on dishonest agendas. And, and there'll be no sense to be made of that, uh, whether you're in the eye of the storm or you're outside looking in. Royce, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate you coming on and adding your insight and flavor to this discussion. Uh, happy holidays. Uh, we'll circle back to you after Christmas. Uh, before I go, uh, I want to tell you about my good friends at Good Ranchers. Uh, over at Good Ranchers, they have a variety of boxes to give as gifts this holiday season. Choose the Ranchers Classic for the perfect combo of high quality beef and tender chicken, or go with the Cowboy to have an ultimate steakhouse experience with the Black Angus ribeyes, Wagyu burgers, and more. Most of what you find at the store is imported from 
who knows where and with who knows what in it. But Good Ranchers only sources and sells meats from here in the USA and every piece in your order is individually wrapped and vacuum sealed to lock in flavor and freshness for up to a year. Whether you eat it tonight or three months from now, it will be the best meal you've had each time. Give a gift they'll remember and they'll use. You know they'll use it. We all love to eat. We all gotta eat. Go to Good Ranchers. Uh, get your Good Ranchers box or gift card today. Good Ranchers, use the fearless code to get $20 off and free shipping. Just go to goodranchers.com fearless or use the promo code fearless at checkout to take advantage of this holiday special today. Support the sponsors that support you and your worldview. All right, when we come back, it's not gonna be the Korean Cosell. I'm gonna have a little conversation with uh, Bunny. Bunny. Damn. Butter. <laughs> you know where his mind is. Hey, Bunny, Bunny. Hey, what's up, Bunny? <laughs> Butter and Jimmy. And because I want to play off of what uh, Royce White just talked about in terms of he, the hero narrative in sports. Because Butter and Jimmy have come up with something uh, about Western movies and Kyle Rittenhouse and just a changing in American culture and values that we're seeing manipulated through pop culture. And, and so I wanna, I wanna show that video that they put together and have a discussion about like, what is going on with the American narrative and who are the heroes? Who are the bad guys? It all seems to be made up as we go along. It all seems to be changing on a dime. They've done something very clever that I want to share with you all and have a discussion about it. Uh, so, uh, Butter and Jimmy. All right, welcome back. Uh, you know what? I I'm a little excited about this next segment because uh, we've been handed a gift here in Nashville. Obviously, Nashville is Music City. And so I've had a lot of people in the music industry uh, reach out to me, but no one as effectively or as cleverly or as enthusiastically as Butter, who you know has volunteered to kind of join the fearless team. And he's been a gift and a blessing because one, it's opened up the creativity of Uncle Jimmy. It's opened up the creativity of uh, our producer, uh, Chris Foley. And, and, and it's allowed you know, our entire team to, to go a little bit deeper into our creative instincts. And so uh, Jimmy, Butter, Chris Foley, Corey Smith, Justin Kraut, guys on our team, they put together uh, this video we're gonna play that uh, is pretty amazing and gets at a larger point that we were just talking about with uh, with Royce, but before we do any of that, I just want the audience to one meet Butter on a bit more personal level and see if we can. Can, can I introduce you, man? You ain't doing good, man. <laughs> I, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we want y'all to put your hands together. Give a warm Nashville welcome for the boy they call Butter. Hello. I think this is, keep playing, I think this is the song that kind of made Butter famous that I was talking about. Rocking the beer gut. Yeah, rocking the beer gut. Go, go, let him hear a little taste of that. Little song dedicated to all of our proud beer drinking ladies out there. Check it. 
Well, there's a million different types of girls all around the world, and they're all so beautiful. No one knows any better than me, cause I stare so constantly. But I think I met my match last night at the club. She was sipping on a butt, hanging with her friends on a Friday night. A five foot something cherry bomb She had everything going on The first thing that caught my eye She was rocking the beer gut And I love the way she's not ashamed Rocking the beer gut Well it's just some extra love around her waist Rocking the beer gut She's more than hot, she's everything and with the blue jeans a little tight around her butt, rocking the beer gut, holla, holla. Mm. Oh man, uh, uh, you know I had a, I, hold on. I wrote a song in Kansas City. Oh, you did? Yeah, it, it, it's, it was almost like that. Smoking it's a blunt. <laughs> <laughs> No, she man. was smoking a blunt. <laughs> well, I mean, well, no, actually, that's my problem. I always run into women that want to smoke a blunt. I need a woman that can smoke a turkey. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, man, I, I actually wrote a song, man. It's called uh, uh, um, uh, Loving, I, I Love Eating the Muffin Top. <laughs> <laughs> eating it? Jim, could you stop? <laughs> could you please? Uh, you well, oh, excuse me. That, that's with butter, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Rocking the muffin top. Okay, all right. That's the remix. Uh, anyway, let me get us back on track into the whole point of why you know I I love what Butter has has done for the show, and I love what what you guys put together. I believe last week and this week, kind of taking a story in the news, Kyle Rittenhouse and what's going on with him, and using it to make a, a larger point about what's going on in American culture and society. So uh, can we play this? This is kind of Uncle Jimmy's greatest story I think he's ever told. It, it, has, a, it has an American feel to it, an old school American, you know, old fashioned American feel. All right, let's play it. Eat doggy. Mm, mm, mm. That was a mighty fine song you got right there, Butter. Thank you, thank you. Well, look here, Uncle Jimmy wants to tell you a story, and I'm gonna need you to pipe down for a minute. You think you can do that for me? Right, no problem, no problem, partner. I enjoy a good story. Listen up here, man. America's changing. I'm not sure it's changing for the better, you hear me? I remember a time America's was raised on Western movies. You know, the stories that captured the good old American spirit. Freedom, know-how. Remember back in the day, you'd have a brothel filled with loose women? Hey, get a good shot of whiskey and when some bad shit went down, a cowboy would ride into town and set things right again. Like John Wayne, the searchers. Well, I'm more so speaking about like Jamie Foxx and the Django. <laughs> Clint Eastwood, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, that's all right, but I'm I'm more of a Samuel L. Jackson and the hateful eight. Yeah, yeah, G Gary Cooper. Mm, high noon. Yeah, oh, that's good. Uncle Jimmy done seen them all. I done seen them all. I done seen the Lone Ranger. I done seen Gunsmoke. Shane. What happened to all our heroes? The good guys. They had the odds stacked up against them. 
no help. Had to do them all by himself. But he mans up and he beats the bad guys. Seems like we just don't get movies like that no more. We don't know the good guys from the bad guys. Everybody act like they confused. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. They sure do. Anyway, look here, man. Uncle Jimmy wrote him a little old school Western movie. And man, I'm going to get that fat nephew of mine to get me in front of one of them big studio executives out in Hollywood so I can pitch my movie to him. I do believe that they're going to love it. <laughs> yeah, Jason, he sure is fat. <laughs> yeah. Don't nobody call Jason fat but me. Come on. Listen, anyway, anyway, that's my nephew, okay? The movie is my adaptation of Pale Rider. You ever see Pale Rider? Yeah, it's a classic. Whew. Clint Eastwood, he was, he was a preacher. Okay, okay, listen, take a listen, buddy. Listen, this is, this is my story. See, it all started out in a frontier town called Kenosha. There was this mean cuss by the name of Blake. Man, he'd been in and out of trouble for years. And then this varmint went and beat up a woman. He sexually assaulted her, and the judge finally issued a warrant for his arrest. Well, when the sheriff and his deputies came a-calling to get him, there was this whole dust-up. And man, just about everybody in town, they had a different story about how it went down, but the long and the short of it is, Blake wasn't about to surrender quietly to the sheriff, okay? Well, and, and he was trying to escape and he jumped in his wagon, but the wagon had kids in the back of it. And also, up under the saddle of the mare, he had a knife. Well, when, when Blake went for that knife, all he heard, Sheriff and the deputies put old Blake down. Now that some bitch Blake didn't die, mind you. Now he darn sure was crippled for life. But let me tell you something, Blake ran with some powerful outlaws. They went by the name of the BLM gang. They got that name BLM because they burned, looted, and murdered all across the West. And the BLM gang, well, they thought that the sheriff and his deputies were wrong. And they thought that they shouldn't have shot Blake. So they did what gangs did back in the old west. They, 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 they started terrorizing the whole town to get revenge on the sheriff by burning, looting, and destroying property. And the mayor and the governor was scared out of their minds. They withdrew the sheriff, the deputies, and in the time, little old Kenosha's greatest need, well, the law skipped town with their tails between their legs. So the BLM reign of terror got worse. Old people got beat up. One livery, they burned down and wiped out over 100 horses and wagons. Now, now, this right here is where our hero enters the story. He's a young wannabe gunslinger named Kai. They called him the Pale Rider. Now, man, he might not have even been 18 years old yet, but he had already developed a reputation as being a bit of a good do-gooder. Maybe even a bit of a goody two-shoes, as some might even say, but he was trying to learn medicine and he was trying to help people. 
And he even did rescues down the, 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 the town's local swimming hole. He was a sweet kid, but, 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 but he was green as hell around the ears, you might say. Mm-hmm. Now, now some, some say that Kyle had no business even riding up against that BLM gang. But there was another livery asking for help just down the street from, from the other one, as a matter of fact, that had just been torched. But when the sun fell, another night of BLM burning and looting, it commenced. Well, the pale rider grabbed his gun and stood out in front of that livery like a natural born man. This one BLM, BLM member, name was Rosenbach, nasty varmint child molester. He came at Pale Rider first, tried to take Kyle's gun from him. Next thing you know, all you hear, bap, bap, bap. Young Kyle stood his ground. Rosenball went down, hit him right between the eyes. Well now, old Kyle was in for it then. The whole BLM gang was charging at him, chasing him down the street. He's surrounded. He's taking blows one after another. One BLM guy even jump kicked Kyle. Pow! Son of a bitch guy named Hubert. Now he was a domestic abuser. Well, he takes a plank from a buckboard and starts wailing on Kyle like he's crazy. Well, then he starts trying to take Kyle's gun. Next thing you know, you hit pow! Hell Rider strikes again. Goodbye, Hubert. Then we had one final BLM thug. His name was Gage. He's a hard drinking gunslinger. He too had been in and out of jail and he comes at Kyle, appointing his six shooter right at our hero. Well, he looks at Pell, looks like our hero Pell Rider's finished. And somehow or another, old Kyle gets the drop on Gage. Next thing you know, bang! Down goes Gage! Down goes Gage! The final outlaw. The pale rider then saddled up his horse, rode out of town. He went and turned himself in to the next marshal in the next town. You know, some people blamed him for crossing state lines, but when he went to trial, the jury set him free. Peace was restored to Kenosha. What you think about that there, butter? It makes me think of a little song. The pale rider rode into town. Good folks were in peril and buildings burned down. Armed with his honor and the Patriot's creed. He stared down the barrel and defended the streets. Some called him an outlaw, some called him a shame, some called him a hero as they hauled Kyle away. That's beautiful, bud. That's beautiful. All right, so that's humorous, Jimmy and Butter. 
and and Chris Foley who wrote most of that. It's it's humorous, but there's a legitimate point that's being made, and it connects to the conversation Royce and I were having in terms of how popular culture, the things you see on TV, the things you see at the movie, are done to influence your worldview, your point of view. And this is why what's going on in America is so disconcerting. We had 60 years of movies like Pale Rider and True Grit and The Unforgiven and The Searchers and all that. And, and we knew who the bad guys and good guys were. And now in 2021, honestly, good, who are the bad guys and who are the good guys? It seems like all the messaging we get from corporate media and from Hollywood, the good guys are the bad guys and the bad guys are the good guys now. That's what sales. I mean, you know. The, the, Does it really? It, yeah, I mean, the, the, that's what sells today. Back in our day, I mean, everybody, I mean, you know, the good guys wore white hats, the bad guys wore black hats. You, you, you wanted to be a good guy. You know, nobody wanted to be a bad guy. You know, but somehow or another, we, we came upon an era where somehow or another you wanted to be the bad guy. Somehow or another, it wasn't cute to be the good guy no more. It wasn't fashionable. It wasn't cool to be a man or be accepted. I think when I think about, like, the first bad guy that I could, well, not the first, but like, my favorite movie is The Godfather. Okay. And The Godfather basically turned mobsters into the guys you root for. And that came out in 71, 72, somewhere around there. And then I remember really as a kid, and I don't know what, Jimmy, you'll know the year right off the top of your head, but when Scarface came out, Tony Montana became the good guy. Was that 81, 82? Somewhere, yeah, I was in high school. 81, 82? Yeah. Well, for me, the first thing that I see when I when I watch that video is how hard it was for me to sit next to you while you were acting out those scenes without me wanting to. I felt like I was on Saturday Night Live trying not to laugh because he was ripping it, man. I mean, you were going for it. And so I was impressed because you intimidated me. But yeah, I, <laughs> I was. Hey, let me explain something to you. And I tried to tell you this. But I, I was tripping. Listen, you, let, let me explain something to you. When, when your boss starts singing the praises of his new girlfriend, it make you step your, ga- make you step your game up. <laughs> something that comes to my mind with it, too, when you talk about where we knew who the heroes were, is today everybody can be on TV. When you go to a concert or you go somewhere, when you go to a baseball game, most people are looking at themselves on their camera while they're there. If you go to a music concert, they're holding up their camera, filming it. And it, it used to be that in order to get to be a hero, you had to be in the movies to get there. But now, you know, with our phones and the Internet, I think those lines are just blurred so much because everybody has their own version of, of who they are and, and we can promote things differently. And I think it's, it's tough. There's so much information to consume. There's so many internet heroes and stars that, that are grown from really no specific talent other than followers. It's a, it's a, it's a unique time, definitely. I, I, just how it was told cleverly in that story, but I mean, yeah. Joseph Rosenbaum was a child molester of 
child molester, <laughs> molester, child molester of young boys between the ages of nine and 11. And somehow he's the sympathetic figure and Kyle Rosenhaus is the villain. And that's what I found profound about that piece. It was just like trying to put it in everyone's face like, now, you know what they was writing a movie about this 20 years ago, Kyle Rittenhouse would be John Wayne, he would be Clint Eastwood, he would be Matt Dillon. Was Matt Dillon in Gunsmoke or Bennett? Yeah, Matt, he would be Matt Dillon. He would be Shane from the movie Shane. But now, he would he's be Ben the, Cartwright from yeah. Banana. <laughs> or Hoss or Little Joe. No, you would be Hoss. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that is true. All right, so, hey, I just, great job. I wanted to share that with our audience. Uh, obviously, we'll be sharing that over social media and every place. Uh, fantastic. Can I say this stuff. about this real quick, yeah, Jason? please do. Seriously, I mean, about this. I, as we were making this and we were talking about this, the thing that came to mind was how many people really had no idea what really went on in this situation? And, you know, after we kind of twisted it up and put some funny to it, you know, you look at that and you go, oh, that's what happened. Yeah, that's what happened. Not what you think happened. This wasn't a racially involved. This wasn't this. This is what happened. OK, well, now, as you did point out, I mean, one fact they did get right. He did cross state lines, Jim. That is that is factually true. He crossed state lines. OK, but his mother was right, driving the horse. <laughs> <laughs> He did cross state lines at that moment. Pale rider crossing state lines, and you know, good job, Uncle Jimmy. Good job, Butter. Uh, good job, Chris Foley, Justin Kraut, Corey Smith. Fantastic. All right, uh, let me tell you guys something. Uh, there's nothing worse than walking into a situation where you're going to have to be around or in front of a bunch of people, and all of a sudden you start to sweat. I've been there, and my guess is you have too. This is why I use sweat block antiperspirant wipes. Now, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I literally only have to use sweat block once or twice a week and it keeps me dry the entire time. It's stronger and more effective than most clinical antiperspirants. And here's the beauty of it. It's so simple. Use it in the morning before you start your day or look, you can use it the night before when you go to bed. It's good all the time. No need to worry about all the sweat. It's all guaranteed. Sweat block is a complete game changer and you need to get it now. If you or someone you love is dealing with this, you have to check out sweatblock.com. Get it today for 20% off at sweatblock.com with the promo code fearless. That's sweatblock.com with the promo code fearless. Korean Cosell. Next. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's roll out to Los Angeles and bring in uh, the Korean Cosell. Uh, Steve was in the city that hosted a terrific Thursday night football game or an interesting Thursday night football game between the Chiefs and the Chargers last night. May ask him about COVID, but mostly I want, to, I want his thoughts on the Chiefs and Chargers from last night. I, I, I got to say, Steve, and Uncle Jimmy's not going to like me saying it, but I was not very <laughs> impressed with the Chiefs last night. Brandon Staley, no. the head coach of the Chargers, gave that game away. 
No, and by the way, I'm glad you got to me finally because I need to check out of here in about 45 minutes. Okay, but anyway, uh, I thought the Chiefs were the second best team on the field for about 57 minutes. And Jay, I am not a football expert. I need to ask you, since you played at the Mega Mac, are you still allowed to kick field goals on fourth down? Are you just not allowed to take points? Because here's the thing that got me about Brandon Staley, and I watch a lot of Chargers football. He's very aggressive, and I know that's the new way of playing football. But I get why you want as many points as possible. But, Jay, here's where the perception is not the reality. You take away the two Raiders games that the Chiefs have played during this long winning streak. Their offense is averaging in the low 20s. Why not just stack the points? Because, first of all, he left about 12 points on the board, and the game should have been 28-10 at halftime anyway. But, but I think Staley overthought it and kept the Chiefs in this ball game. I, I thought it was one of the most irresponsible coaching performances I've ever seen. And he's done a nice job with that Chargers team. But to not go ahead and take the points, two field goals in the first half, you have kick returns virtually never happen in the NFL anymore without someone getting called for yep. holding and it getting taken back. You open the game with a great kickoff return, take your three points, you've stolen three points, and just keep pushing the thing forward. He then passes up, he passed up three field goals, that yeah. all, the, the longest one being 46 yards. He cost himself the game. It's irresponsible. These analytics people that think they're smarter than the game, they spent all their life playing Madden football, and now they want to coach uh, like it's Madden football. Take your three points, keep it moving. Uh, and, and so I just was not impressed with the Chiefs. I think until the last three three minutes of or two minutes of regulation and the, the short overtime period, Patrick Mahomes was very unimpressive in that game. He left points on the board, missed a wide open, I think it was McCole Hart, uh, Hardman, yeah. easy throw because he didn't grab the laces and was trying to get it out too quick. But there were other things in that game where I'm just, I was not impressed with the Chiefs. I was blown away at Brandon Staley and his coaching and just the irresponsibility of these young guys and, and arrogance. And so he's trying to install a culture and, and a belief, look, we're going to be super aggressive. That, that's the mentality of this team. And over the course of the season, my aggressiveness is going to pay off and is going to win us a game. Well, you know what? Last night, it cost him a game. It probably cost him the AFC West. It probably cost him a home playoff game. That's on him. He's going to have to live with that. If next season, if Justin Herbert or Joey Bosa or whoever, the, or Keenan Allen is hurt come playoff time or some point during the regular season, you have a small window to maximize and to exploit your advantages. The Chargers, to me, are possibly as good as any team in the AFC. I certainly think they're better than the Chiefs this year. They, they beat them in Kansas City and should have beaten them again last night. Uh, but this guy may have blown it and they'll be playing on the road in the playoffs if they make the playoffs and they'll probably get bounced early and he's gonna have to live with that uh, for the entire offseason that he cost him a game on Thursday night football trying to uh, impress all the analytics people that think fourth down is now just another excuse to throw a pass.
Right. And Jason, and you played the game and you played at the most physical position, which is offensive line. Everyone always talks about how players always want to go for it and be aggressive. Right. But I, I, I would argue that when you don't make it, you deflate that team emotionally, especially early in the game, early points. And I pointed this out before to you, Jason, that most NFL games, if you watch the red zone, they'll point it out during the witching hour as the fourth quarter begins Many games are really within one possession. So three points here, three points here, three points here. It matters. It really does. The, the other thing I find interesting about the Chiefs, and you're right, cosmetically, Mahomes looked good on the stat sheet, but if you watch that game, he missed a lot of throws. I don't remember a game where he threw so many one-hoppers. And also, his first 30 attempts, his yards per completion were really low. It took him a long time to get to 300 yards. Again, box scores don't say everything, but again, this tells you where the Chiefs are and what Andy Reid will always be. They had 47 passing attempts, and they had 20 rushing attempts, three rushing attempts by Mahomes, so they only called 17 plays on the ground, which were designed runs. There needs to be a little bit more of a balance because the book is out on the Chiefs. You play that polo grounds, cover two, deep center field, you keep everything in front of them. And that's the other thing that Brandon Staley did not realize. The Chiefs, again, are a very methodical team. And if I have Justin Herbert, you know what? I'm going to get down here again. I don't always need to get down to it to the fourth down and just be so doggone reckless because there's a fine line between aggression and recklessness. I think that the guys in that Chargers locker room they put in that kind of work. They know the kind of opportunity that was blown last night. This could end up, Brandon Staley seems to be a promising young coach. But if the rest of this season doesn't, if they don't win a playoff game or they're forced to play on the road in their first playoff game and lose, he could have done some damage last night to his relationship and with that locker room and his ability to lead that locker room. Sometimes losses like last night linger. Yes. They can catch up with you in the next game. They might, it may catch up with you in the next season. He did some damage to his reputation last night. Now, he can recover from it. He's got a great quarterback. They got some nice pieces around him. They got nice defensive pieces. Uh, he can recover from it, but he's going to have to recover from it or he could suffer the consequences of it. Jay, I, I completely agree. And again, this is a different type of situation. The magnitude was different. Let's go back to that Super Bowl about seven years ago. I, to this day, don't believe the Seattle Seahawks organization has ever recovered from that short slant that was intercepted by the Patriots instead of just giving the ball off to beast mode Lynch. Now, again, that's the Super Bowl. I get it. The magnitude of the game is infinitely bigger. But coaches say this all the time, especially in college. When you have a rival and you lose to that rival, the message is on that Monday, don't let this game beat you two or three times. In other words, we got to get back up emotionally. And, Jay, I get the sense that type of loss was deflating emotionally for those Chargers. Uh Jim is chomping at the bit to say something. He's the Chiefs fan <laughs> oh, and no. Homer. Uh, he he oh, started no. the show singing some song. The Chiefs are back. He's absolutely crazy. <sighs> I, I, I left that game with more questions and concerns about the Chiefs than I felt 
feeling good about the Chiefs. Uh, Jim, you know, I know you're, you're just a <laughs> it, it, homer. It, 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 no, I'm, I'm, I'm a realist. That, 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 this is why I'm the thrill sergeant, because I'm a real sergeant. You know, I, I like what God like, and that ain't nothing but the truth. Now, did you or did you not see when the switch went on? Did you see the switch when it went on, Kim? Now, I, I, if you're not a big Tariq Hill fan, you know, all he does is act like he run fast down the field. But did you see that catch in the fourth quarter? Did, did, did you see the catch? I mean, look here, man. I, I don't know of any receiver in the league that's going to make a better catch than that. that was Andre a, Hopkins does that almost No, man. Now, look here, man. Look, a catch, a pass right there. Come on, man. That's legitimate. That's big time right there. Travis Kelsey. Hey, man, the game was looking bad. What did Kelsey do, man? Kelsey went down and made a play when we needed it most. Patrick Mahomes, this run right here. Bam! Look, I mean, there, there, you, there he goes, Kelsey. And let me tell you what I love about Kelsey in that play, man. As he was getting ready to get tackled, covered up the ball. Didn't get carried away, tried to jump over. Hey, man, I just like what happened. I like it, it was close, but you know what we did? We was just a little bit better. And that's what it takes, man. It's got to be a switch. Bah! There it is. You know, uh, I will give the, the Chiefs next a little time bit they flick that switch. Hold on, Steve. Yeah. The next, a smart coach, when the Chiefs would have flicked that switch, a smart coach would have had his team up 14, 15 points, and it wouldn't have mattered that they flipped the switch. It would have been too little, too late. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, and I want to make this point, and I know Jimmy's going to agree with me on this. Uh, without having Chris Jones. That's a major loss on the inside. When he plays inside, it's a different defense. And uh, that's the other thing that got me about Staley. You have a very good little running back in Austin Eckler. He didn't get the ball in the red zone. And I'm thinking to myself, Brandon, I know you want to be fancy, but there's a philosophy called KISS, K-I-S-S. Keep it simple. Keep it simple, stupid. stupid. Yes. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you. Yes. Uh, Steve, uh, before we push on and let you go, uh, what did you think of Uncle Jimmy's uh, oh, Western story? Wow. Uh, Pale Rider, Cal Rittenhouse. I, I, that's right up there with Tombstone. That, that is an American classic. <laughs> this, this is the Citizen Kane of Fearless. If he doesn't walk away with one of those Oscars, uh, it'll be a travesty. Okay, but the other thing, I want to tell Butter one thing. Uh, great job. I love your song, but I, you don't have to try not to laugh when you're watching the current Saturday Night Live. That it never elicits that reaction anymore. Okay, so remember that you don't have to not try to laugh. Double negative alert. You, you actually have to watch it to try right. not to laugh. So I'm not even doing that. All right. So before I let you go, that you just reminded me of the other thing I wanted to poke fun at or or figure out. What did you? Are you following this Jackson Mahomes oh. story? Oh Patrick boy. Mahomes is oh boy. Uh, and the Kansas City restaurant uh, that clown suited Mahomes' little brother justifiably. Just uh, they say, he, he didn't get seated at this restaurant and tried to pull, I'm Patrick Mahomes' brother, and, you know, don't you know, I got a TikTok this or that, and I dance and wear pink, and they clown suited him, and I'm glad they did. Jason, you referenced the Godfather earlier. Don't you mean Fredo Mahomes? My God. I, this is a guy. Oh, this, this is a Steve. guy. Born on third base, and he thinks he hit a 10-run home run. It's the worst <laughs> thing in the world. 
I, I this this guy's laughable. He also did that thing where, where the Redskins were paying tribute to Sean Taylor, the late great Sean Taylor, and he jumps on the logo and starts doing the Running Man. Uh, th- this guy's irredeemable. <laughs> That's the only thing I really have to say about him. He's he's here's the. Uh, initial apology oh boy. that uh, the restaurant put out that clown suits him. Uh, Dear Jackson Mahomes, we are sorry that we set boundaries that you tried to ignore. Oftentimes <laughs> people with unearned status and a sense of entitlement think they are above the rules and will lash out at the employee enforcing them. We are sorry we could not seat your very large group. As you probably saw, our bar is very small. We are sorry that you have the reach that you do, or at least that you think you do, and that instead of using it for something positive, you decided to use it to try and crush a small business. We survived a global pandemic. We'll survive your ego. Just It goes on and on and on like that. And I'm glad that they did it because this little sense of entitlement and the reason why they had this reaction, I will guarantee you, having lived in Kansas City for 16 years, Jim basically born, raised, and lived most of his life in Kansas City. Kansas City's a little small town. And so I would imagine there must be so many stories around Kansas City about Jackson Mahomes <laughs> acting entitled at bars and restaurants all across Kansas City. That's why this restaurant stepped up and called yep. this guy out publicly. He's like anybody else that does dumb stuff. You hear about one thing, but it's the 30 things they did yeah. before that is the reason why you're hearing about this one thing. No, there's no doubt about it. And, and look, I think there was also a game, The I think it was the second, third week they played Baltimore. Lamar Jackson makes that great comeback. And he's out there spraying water on the fans. But, Jason, I ask you this, though. At, at what point, because I'm sure that Patrick Mahomes cannot be ignorant to all of this, does he take his brother aside and say, that's my name that you're selling? At what point does he step in? And, and what part is this, of this does he bear responsibility for not curbing this type of behavior? I, I'm going to say something sympathetic towards Jackson Mahomes. And, and I'm going to say it with all sincerity. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Butter, do you have any brothers and sisters? Two. Yeah, sisters. Older, younger. Younger, younger. Yeah. Jim, I, you got a lot of brothers and sisters. Uh, Matter of fact, I just got another one last week. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I got uh, older. I didn't find out until Thanksgiving, but go ahead. <laughs> I got an older brother an older stepsister that's like my sister and an, another older stepbrother. But for my brother, and, and I say that I, my brother's never complained about this, but I have thought about it for the last 30 years. My brother was a very good student and one of the greatest brothers ever invented. They could write a Bible chapter about my brother and what an amazing human being he was to me, particularly as a, as a kid. But I was a very irresponsible kid, and my brother had to cover up for my mistakes, and, and uh, my brother had to, you know, act, be like a third parent to me. And, and I got a lot of attention because I was a bad kid, but I was also a great athlete. And my brother was not an athlete. He was a good student, and, uh, but, because of my athletic career and playing on a high school team that ended up being nationally ranked and I was an all state, 
all, there was so much attention directed at me as a child. And my brother was all into it. He was into my high school career and college career. Uh, but at some point, when I got out of sports and then transitioned into this media career, it's like the attention and discussion about me, it never stopped. It's been ongoing mm -hmm. for <clears throat> 45 years. A lot of attention, a lot of conversation about me first as an athlete, now me as a journalist. My brothers never complain, but I've thought about it all the time like, this ain't right. My brother's a better person than me. And I get all the attention. And I just have to, I think it's hard on my brother. Never complained, never said a word about it. But I think for Jackson Mahomes, his brother, and I, you know, it's been going on for probably 20 years now, gets all of that attention. And this kid just seems very thirsty for attention and doesn't know how to handle it and acts out and runs around and acts like he's baby Patrick Mahomes. Anyway, I, there's some sympathy I have for him. And I'm wondering, I'll start with you, Butter. Your sisters, have they, has that ever been an issue with you being in the entertainment issue, how much attention you get, perhaps? No, they've, they've been okay, because my kind of famous is very, uh, I got like five minutes of the 15. So they, they haven't had to deal with it too much. You know, this is one of the more famous things I've done. So we'll see how they react after this. But I, I do think, and I mentioned it earlier when we we're talking about Pale Rider, I think that for kids, you know, there's people coming after him being Patrick's brother. His, his rise on social media, I haven't seen his pages, but... I do think it's tough for kids to navigate who get very famous and very addicted to posting things and feeling like they are, there's this responsibility that they have to constantly be putting out this content. I think that falls into it. And then to come out and rip the, rip the restaurant, he didn't have to do that. But there's always this notion that they got to be on their phones and they got to be doing something outrageous to try to maintain and keep and, and get followers to follow him on social media. Jimbo, you got anything you want to add? I, I think it's honestly, as far as what you're saying about your brother, I, of course, know your brother. And you, you're saying how, you know, you, you have always been here. I think for, and, and I have a sister that's like this. I mean, she's great. I, I mean, she is the greatest individual in the world. But, you know, everybody, everybody has to know their lane. You are Jason Whitlock. Your brother Jimmy is so cool and so secure and so right where he needs to be in life that, you know, he, he, doesn't, he, he knows his role. And that's what every, everybody can't be, Patrick. You need to know your role. He can't be Jason. He doesn't try to be Jason. You know, and, and that's why it's so important. But you got to, that's why we, that's why we say in the hood, hey man, you need to know your role. You need to stay in your lane. This kid ain't staying in his lane. Evidently he don't know his role. Uh, Korean Cosell, I know you're an only child, so you're used to getting all the attention. But uh, <laughs> do you have anything to add before we let you go? Well, I, I, okay, before I let you go, my last line is I'm, I'm stunned that uh, Uncle Jimmy didn't say, well, Jason, you voice cast a very large shadow. That's all I have. <laughs> 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 it was there for oh, you. Oh, you got a Jimmy fat joke. <laughs> Did, Jimmy, didn't you, you tell me? He was talking about his brother always covering him. 
When he was little, I started to say, what the hell was your brother, a comforter? <laughs> Jim, I thought you had already told Butter, only you make fat jokes about me. Could you tell Steve Kim that Ooh. same, you know? Steve, Sorry. I'm going to be honest with you. Only you can make jokes about Jason when I'm here. <laughs> Especially when they're good ones. Keep them coming. Uh, Korean Cosell, we're going to let you go. Thank you. Uh, good job, as always. Uh, Uncle Jimmy and our approval rating. All right, welcome back. Uh, Uncle Jimmy, yes, I'm going to break your heart. We don't have time today for you to tell me how great I was. We got to go straight to the approval rating. I know that but, you've got notes for days about all the great things that I did. Are go you going to be okay? Go ahead, man. Go ahead. Well, you know what? Why don't just put the camera on me and I'll tell you how great I was. That'll it'll save because I can do it probably quicker than Jim. It'll only take me 15, 16 minutes to do this. You can do most things quicker than me. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> On a serious note, uh, let's get to the approval rating of Chargers head coach uh, Brandon Staley. Uh, He blew the game last night, was absolutely horrendous. Uh, But I got, you know, they're, what are they, eight and six? Eight and six, job performance. I'm going to get, because they were terrible last year, this first year with Justin Herbert, I got to give him an 18 in job performance. Job performance, I give him a 25. And I would like to say, Thank you for a mighty fine job performance. Go ahead and keep it moving. Uh, character, uh, yeah, I don't know a lot about him. And, you know, we'll see how he adjusts after blowing last night's game. So I don't want to go too high or too low. I'm going to give him an 18 in character. I give him a 25. Uh, I, I, I give him a 25 because they... The clown roll well, is that... Is hey, that hey, I thought that their performance last night was, you know, charger, very charger-ish. Very Marcellus Wiley-ish. Very Sean Merriam-ish. Just very mediocre. You know what I mean? <laughs> Damn, you want that smoke. Uh, <laughs> they got Pro Bowls they want to show you, Sean Merriam and Marcellus. All right, uh, authenticity. Uh, he kept it authentic. He likes to go for it on fourth down, and he kept doing it uh, to the detriment of his team. So I'll give him a 20 in authenticity. When it comes down to authenticity, I'm going to keep it real. They get a zero. They look good. <laughs> but they still the Chargers. <laughs> I don't give a damn where they change their zip code to. They still the Chargers. Uh, it factor, I got to be low. Half that stadium in Los Angeles was Chiefs fans. Half the damn stadium we travel was, like this. Was, was wearing red. That says something about the Chargers. They ain't got that it factor. They, do you see they, Adele was in the, uh, went to the game last night. Do you see that? Uh, yeah. Uh, did you see uh, uh, LeBron James too? Yeah, well, I, I saw... Rich Paul, was LeBron there too? Yeah, he was there. Oh, Jay-Z. I saw Jay-Z and Maverick Carter, so LeBron and his whole little He could have been far behind. But actually, LeBron was gone to get him popcorn. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I give him a five in it factor. Uh, I give him an 18. In it factor? I give him 18. Because you know why? Why? Because I give him respect. Because they actually played a good game last night. They really did. I mean, they lost, but I give them respect as a team, as a unit. Eh. I got him at candlelit at 61. You got him at 68 in a grease fire. But I'm going to end on this note since I brought up Adele. Throwing you a curveball. Have you heard her new 30 album? Uh, I hear it's great. I haven't heard all of it, but just some snippets of it. It's amazing. 
I'm, I'm as big a Dale fan as there is. That album is very average. You don't like it? Uh, it's very average. Uh, Easy On Me is a very good song. That's why they released it first. Uh, Utter. I haven't heard it. Butter, don't. Right. don't I, I butter. love Adele. Butter, don't listen to Jason. <laughs> Jason is being modest. Jason is Adele's biggest fan. <laughs> Literally. I love Adele. That album's not good. And I, I think Rich Paul has stolen her most. Especially since Rich Paul. Well, I'm, it has nothing to do with it. Hats Rich off, Paul has affected Adele's Look, vocal cords. Yeah. I'm very... <laughs> Giving that man a lot of credit, Jim. <laughs> All right, that's tomorrow. Uh, now, tomorrow, yeah. she still got it. Yeah, she does. All right, we'll see you next week. I just want to be, I just